the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. I'd like you to open your Bibles now to John chapter 15, because I want to bring you to this passage of how we handle rejection, but I want to do it by giving you a little bit of a background. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 15, and we're going to explain to you how important this is, but how the Lord sets it up before he talks about how to do this with some truths ahead of that. So if you have your Bibles, you want to open them up to John 15. And if you'll notice that in the first 11 verses, it does talk about relationship, but it's our relationship with him. And it's supposed to be a relationship where we're abiding in him and he's abiding in us. And that's what that talks about. He said, I'm the vine and we're to abide in him. Now, when we're abiding in him, that gives us the strength and the power because he lives his life through us then to do the next thing he tells us. In verse 12, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another. So then he talks about our relationships outward with one another. Now, I think specifically it could be talking about those who don't know Christ as Savior, but it doesn't really put it into a box so that we can love everyone. But then he moves into the third relationship, and that would be the relationship that we will have with the world. And we'll talk about that in a moment. And what is our job to do with the world? And that is to take a stand for truth and to tell truth, particularly beginning with the gospel, but other value truths, of value truths to them as well. And that's where the persecution comes in, and he's going to speak to that. I can imagine that those of you that have trusted Christ as your Savior, that if you began to live in any shape for the Lord, I don't mean you became a pastor or a Sunday school teacher, but in some measure, you lived as a Christian would live with honesty, decency, integrity, taking a stand for biblical truth, you've had some kind of persecution. I remember when I trusted Christ, it happened right around Veterans Day, just like we're celebrating this particular time in our calendar in November. I came home from trusting Christ, and the first person I encountered was my dad. And I was ignorant in how to share the faith, and I remember going up to dad as it was late in the evening after the youth meeting. And I said, Dad, I am so excited. I've trusted Christ as my Savior, and I'm going to heaven. You're going to hell. And you don't do that to your dad, you know, especially when it's a non-religious home. And so it took many years for my dad to kind of regroup and for me and for he and I to regroup together. And he did come to faith in Christ. That happened in November, that following summer, you young people. I went to camp. Our, our youth department had a tremendous week-long camp. We had Bible teaching three hours in the morning, two hours at night. We had many verses to memorize, devotions and all of that. But we were given one hour a day off to kind of have our own free time. I violated the principles of the, uh, the, the guidelines for the camp. They said you had to stay on the conference center, but there was, in my mind, no lost people there. They're all saved kids, and I wanted to reach people for Christ. I hadn't even been saved a year. I was a new babe in Christ. I wanted to tell the world about Christ. So I snuck off the grounds, and right next to the camping area where we were, there was a public park over there, and there was some people playing ball in the afternoon, and so 
I had my Bible and I had my tracts and my, these little gospel pamphlets and I went up to a group of rough looking guys about my age, a little bit older and I said, guess what guys, I'd like to tell you how that you could know for sure you can go to heaven when you die by just trusting Christ and the ringleader of the group uh, made himself known real quick and he said, so you know you're going to heaven when you die? I said, yeah, I do. And he said, so how do you know you're going to heaven? I trust the Christ as Savior. He said, that means that if you were to die right now, you'd go to heaven? I said, absolutely, with this nice, confident smile, hoping that that would, might motivate him to do the same. He said, let me show you. So all the guys you know, kind of got close to me and kind of pushed me, nudged me to the back of this guy's car. He opened up the trunk, and as soon as the trunk opened up, he reached in there and he held a gun to my head. And he said, do you mean right now, if I pull this trigger, you have no fear of death, that you'd go to heaven? I mean, he was angry and, I mean, hothead. It was like a riot now with eight or nine guys. I don't know how many there were. It could have been a million when you're, you know, scared and all. You know, two guys, you know. And I said, in my heart, I said, what do I do now? I've never, my youth leader didn't tell me how you respond to this. So all I simply said is, let me tell you something. I am not afraid to die because I'm going to heaven. I'm a little nervous how I'm going to die, you know. And that disarmed him. And I said, I'd like to give you something. And I picked up, pu pulled out a track, and I handed it to him. Now, all of them, very enthusiastically then, do you have any more? Do you have any more? Do you have any more? Do you have any? And so I gave out all the tracks that I had and started going through it with them. And as soon as they were distracted enough to go through the tracks, <clears throat> I fled. <laughs> I, uh, I would tell you, I, I regret that to this day because I believe God at that moment gave me an opportunity to really take a stand for Christ. Now, I did enough to get through that. That was not the last time a gun was held to my head when I took a stand for righteousness. It happened in my office uh, a few years after that when I got, went into ministry. I don't know why I attract these nutcases, but I do. But the point of the matter is, you may never go through something like that, but it can be just as painful when you have a great relationship with your family, but when they find out that you're a Christian, pretty soon they start uh, talking small talk with you. They start kind of moving away. They probably don't invite you to things. You've all felt that marginalization. Others of you that perhaps took a little bit stronger stand in other places, maybe in a committee or on a club or a meeting that you're at. In some way you've done that and you've started to see people push back. It happens to you. And the Lord knew that was going to happen and he addresses that in this portion of scripture of John chapter 15. And I'm so glad in his infinite wisdom as he's teaching 11 of his disciples because one of them had already left and he's given them this great teaching. And we who have trusted Christ as Savior can enter into that little Bible study that he's having with those 11 guys as if we're with him. And before he ever gets to how do you handle rejection, the first thing he says is you've got to be abiding in me. I thought a great deal about that. There's so much a byproduct from abiding in him. But in this context, if I'm abiding in him, that's going to give me the confidence to take a stand for the Lord or jeopardize my safety and put me in a position where I will get persecuted. If I'm abiding in him, that will give me the strength to stand up. But also if I'm abiding in him, it will also give me the wisdom then not to invite persecution. I shouldn't walk around like, oh, I'm getting persecuted. And I, Come on, you hit me with your best shot. No, I don't want persecution. I want the gospel to go out. That's what I really want. And that abiding in Christ will help you. And then he goes into this next part, which you talked about loving others. In other words, it's not so much that I'm giving out the gospel in a prideful way so I can tell people how many people I gave the gospel to. Or I've led so many people to the Lord, like I had little notches on my Bible, like the old gunslingers that have a notch of the guys they shot on their guns. I have to tell you, though, the reason we do this is because we really love them. And that, too, is the impetus that comes from abiding in Christ. We really love them. But when we do, 
And if we really do, when we do, then we will be confrontational, hopefully in a loving way, with the world, and we will get a major pushback. And those of you that have had that, you know exactly what I'm saying. As I was preparing for this message, although it was written weeks and weeks ago as I'm delivering it today, I was meditating again on this passage and I got thinking about those of you that were left here when I had gone to China. When I was in China, if you recall, I had three of our best Bible teachers and speakers here at the pulpit. I had Ryan who opened up in the book of Matthew on how that we are to confess him as our Savior and Lord. Now listen. Then the next week I had Pastor Dennis speak about how that we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind and love our neighbors. And then Scott Wells brought the conclusion of it that if we do all of that properly, then we will want to make disciples of all nations. As I was thinking about that, I thought, isn't this a wonderful scenario of this very chapter in the Gospel of John? It talks about, first of all, that we are to abide in Him. That is, knowing Him as our Savior, and He is also then our Lord. And so we recognize that intimacy with Him. And then the next phase of John chapter 15 is to love others. And it begins by loving Him, but then loving other people. And then if we really love other people, then we will want to tell them the truth. Beginning, hopefully, with the gospel. And then from then on, all the other truths that they need to know to live a life of value unto the Lord. And, of course, that then would fit in what Scott taught from Matthew chapter 28 about making disciples of all nations. So it seems like this formula... And I'm going to think more about it as I continue to go through Scripture. Seems to be a formula that continues to fit the whole paradigm of Scripture. First, it's loving the Lord. Then it's loving others. And if we really love them, we're going to help them become a fully devoted follower of Christ. And it's the same formula. It is what we teach here in January, those who have been with us for a long time now, that our intimacy with the Lord will fuel our outreach for the Lord. And so with that, I want to give you this, this teaching on how to handle persecution and rejection in your life. Now, we talked about getting rejected when you take a stand for Christ. I've had rejection in my life when I haven't taken a stand for Christ. I think you can identify with this. Sometimes I'm not really paying as close attention to my driving, and uh, Carol isn't paying quite as close attention to my driving either. And so I can sometimes weave into someone else's lane And that person that I weave into their lane, if I get anywhere too close to them, what do you think they're going to do? Even here in beautiful Hawaii, what do they do? They honk their horn, they pull around, and if I really aggravated them, they give me a a, a salute of some kind. So what happens then is I have gotten that little bit of persecution. He kind of picked on me because I did something. I'm saying that now to say this. I'm not speaking about the rejection that you and I will receive because we're just flat out jerks. We act weird, we are weird, we're selfish, we're prideful, it's me first, itis, we don't think about the needs of others, and so therefore, those people will come against us when that happens. Maybe some of you, or like me, might be byproducts of that in family. It's not anything to do with our faith. Now, sometimes we think it might be, but in reality, it's not. It's just because we've been selfish and prideful, and we haven't really touched them with the right kind of love. That is not where I'm going today. I'm not going to talk about cleaning up your act so that you won't get rejected and won't be a jerk and all of that. I'm talking to those who are honestly wanting to live according to the Word of God. And because of your choice that you make in life to think, talk, walk, and, and, and think about Christ, it shows. So to do that, I want to bring you to our passage for today and for next week, beginning at John chapter 15, verse 18. And here's what you read in verse 18. It says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. 
Well, that little verse there is very powerful. What I thought was so wonderfully unique was how much of a U-turn it goes from verse 17, where Jesus says, This I command you, that you love one another. And in the very next verse it says, If the world hates you. So you see love and hate within two verses of each other, and it almost causes your head to spin. So the first thing we need to look at is the word world here. In Scripture, there are really three kinds of worlds that are identified. The first world that's identified would be the earth, planet earth. And some of you can look at Google Earth and you can see your house and your neighbor's house or maybe some of those kinds of things that you could look at the earth. That is not talking about this world like earth. The second is going to be the people that are in the world. And the world is made up of believers and non-believers, those who will live for the Lord as believers and those who are still growing and having problems with their surrender to the Lord, but they're still Christians. We could talk about that. I don't believe that this is what it's talking about. It is talking about people because people are involved in this, but it's a different kind of thing. So it's not just creation. It's not just all of the world that God created. And it's not just humanity, people. But it's more the humanity of people who are living according to a philosophy that is in an opposite direction than God. So that could even be people. That could even be Christians. They can be a blood-bought, born-again believer in Christ. But for that moment or on that issue, they do not have good, sound Bible knowledge. Or they have it, but they're rejecting it. And so they choose to still embrace the philosophy of the world and therefore they will be opposed to you who might have correct doctrine and correct belief on that particular issue and you're taking a stand for it. So what we're talking now about is yes people but as they're generated by a secular anti-God view. And so that's what he's saying in this passage when he says if the world system and their belief hates you. I thought it's also interesting that in these verses, you're going to find the word hate in its different conjugations. You're going to find it seven times in one passage. It is one of the most saturated passages of Scripture that identifies the attitude of the world toward you and me. Now, when you read the word hate, I think it would be okay for you to accept the fact that it's not talking about that they just kind of not like you. It's not talking about that. It's not talking about those people that, well, they just have a different opinion than you. I'm talking about those people that absolutely hate you. Now, you and I know that what they're really hating often is the value that you're embracing. They're hating that, but you're attached to that. So these people will throw that together and say they hate you and they're going to marginalize you. You're going to be a, a result or a consequence of their hatred. And, of course, your value system is so vitally tied to Christ because it is all about him. And so it's all together in this. And so as we see these kinds of things, I want you to know that when they're hating you, if it's the proper kind of, of object of their hate and the reason, I should say, the proper kind of reason is mainly because you're connected to Christ. So go back to the verse. It says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me. Now, what should our attitude be when that happens? Now, I'm not getting to my points yet about what to do, but just our attitude. The Lord tells us in two passages of the Scripture, right off the bat, two things that we need to do regarding the world. And I think it would be wise for you to own these first before we get into some of the practical understanding of how we handle rejection. The first is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And you could look at that, if you will, if you have your Bible. Turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Just over to the right, just a little bit. Would you look with that, at that with me for a moment? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And here's what he says that we as a Christian should be like or not like. Romans chapter 12. And here's what we should be regarding the world. Many of you probably have it memorized. It goes like this. Paul writing to the Romans. 
He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice unto God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, he says brethren, so he's not talking about saved people to, unsaved people to do this to get saved. He's talking about those who already know Christ as Savior. Now what you need to do is to surrender to him. Now, verse 2 is the key. And he says, and do not be conformed to this world. That is huge. Because it starts out by saying, first of all, you need to surrender to the Lord. And the next thing is, if you're really surrendering to the Lord, is do not be conformed to this world system, this world value system. If I had the time and I could teach a Sunday school class, starting with our teenagers on up, the class I would want to teach first is to help people understand what is the distinction between a secular worldview and a biblical worldview, why they're opposed to each other, and then why we need to embrace the biblical worldview and not be conformed to the secular worldview. Here it says don't do it, but there are ways to do this properly. And so again, the first thing is with the world is don't be conformed to them. To do that, you need to know what is the world philosophy? What is our philosophy? How do I not get conformed to them? Now that is another whole series of sermons. But to begin with, the first thing is, is to trust Christ as your Savior. The second thing it is, is to surrender yourself totally to the Lord. And by doing that, listen carefully now. By doing that, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm surrendering myself to the correct teaching of God's Word. So when I surrender to the Lord, I'm surrendering to Him, yes, so I have an intimacy with Him. But a correct one will be based upon the accurate understanding and application of God's Word. So number one, don't be conformed with the world. The second is this. It says, love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. And then it defines it. A compelling urge to have, a compelling urge to do, a compelling urge to be. So it's the having, the doing, and the being of the world system that we are not to really love. When we do that, then we're going to be like the world. Watch. When I'm like the world, here's what happens. My persecution will diminish from the world because I'm so much like them. I walk like a duck, talk like a duck, quack like a duck. They'll probably think I'm a duck. All right. So I'll be very much like them. On the other side, you're going to find dedicated Christians. They will come alongside you to help you get back into a biblical worldview. But if you do not, then the Bible says to them that they need to begin to separate themselves from you because you can pollute them. And so again, that's why it says do not love the world. Now, those of you that love God rather than the world, you'll become so much more like Christ that the world would then begin to oppose you. And that's what we're talking about here and why it's very important. Now, how would you know when somebody is um, hating you, since we talked about hating you? I'm going to give you three. You'll see it up on the outline there if you haven't already. But there are three ways that you can start seeing it. The first one is going to be they're going to demonstrate it by their feelings. They're going to be a little bit more irritated with you, especially when you don't laugh at their jokes. That might be immoral. When you perhaps don't want to go with them places that is saturated by the, the things of the world. And I think you can interpret that as far as you would like. Where that it becomes so whirly where the whole purpose of going there is to pick up women or to pick up men or to, to be like the world and to try to party like the world. And so all of a sudden you, you start moving away from that kind of environment of socialization. They get a little bit irritated with you. And you can already start feeling. The word that we use now in contemporary is the word marginalized. You start feeling marginalized. You start being marginalized from your family. Maybe from some of your neighbors that you used to smoke and drink and do all that kind of stuff with. And you become a Christian now and you decide that you want to live a little bit different. You're not trying to make them feel more guilty. You're just trying to say, I want to live for the Lord and I want to help you and I'll do things for you. But you're left out of things. You get this feeling going on. Which moves to the next level. They have what they call passive 
action. Passive action is a little bit different now. This is where that they, uh, they don't want you in their office. You're not asked to participate on their teams any longer. They're the ones that uh, perhaps behind your back, you know that they're talking about you. And the people that you hardly done anything wrong with, maybe nothing, you're finding that they too don't want to be around you because of your stand for Christ. So it's more of a passive action. And then it moves into the aggressive action, and that's where they really discriminate against you. You know now you didn't get that promotion because you took a stand for Christ. You know now that they're opposing you in letters and phone calls. You know that you're really getting flat out persecuted. Now when I say that, it's even hard for you to grab this, so your mind is probably wandering because the most you might have had is a little bit of feelings you get from others that they're kind of just not the same as they once were. Some of you are experiencing some passiveness that might be there that you didn't feel before. But no one has really held a gun to your head. No one has really done you bodily harm or financial harm in any way. Because we live in America and there's a lot of governors in place that keep that away from us. But I want to assure you that the kind of personal attack action that you and I will probably experience is when we start seeing laws that are permitted to be placed and then enforced by our government and their enforcing agencies and those laws are absolutely directly contrary to God's word and that we then are called upon to make a decision when we have to do something that would be in violation of those laws when those laws are again contrary to scripture. And so then we have to make the choice of how can I get around this law? What can I really do? How can I make this happen? How far can I really compromise? And our mind begins to play mind games on us. So we start covering up whatever that is to say, well, if I do this, I can still get there. But then those who say, you know what, I can't any longer. Will you be willing to lose your job over this? If you do, then that's called active aggression against you. Are you willing then to not get a raise. Are you willing, and it won't be black and white, it'll be I can't sell this product or I can't sell it this way. I can't do that. I can't do certain things around here as a church. So it's coming. I don't want to be a prophet, but I might be a little bit, that as these laws are being placed in front of us, we will be put in a position to either compromise or to stand in our convictions. And there will be consequences to pay. Let me lighten up just a little bit. Can you go back to the time that um, you bought a new car or you got your first car and you got so excited about it that you told someone and they got so excited. I, I got some of you in here that you got a new car. I couldn't wait to come down out of my office and look at your new car and you had to open the doors and smell the glue, if you know what I mean. You know how you oh, this is so nice. And I get so excited over that. We do. We all do that. When you got a new house, you couldn't, I got to have an open house. I want everybody to go, oh, look at the new house. This last No Fright Kids night, I had the biggest hoopah put on me that I've had in a long time. There was a gal, I won't say who it is, but I will tell you, I hadn't seen her in many, many months. And the first time I saw her, she was pregnant. Now, it was obvious. And I was so excited as a pastor, I went up there and I waited for the crowd to clear a little bit so I could, you know, as a pastor, appropriately, you know, compliment her. Whatever pastors do, you know, oh, I'm so happy for you. And found out that it was just a costume for No Fright Kids night. All right, and I will tell you this: this young lady was so kind. I think she felt more embarrassed that she, you know, got me than than I got gotten. If you know what I'm saying. But we all get excited when that happens. But can you remember again when you trusted Christ as your Savior and you went into your social groups, family or whatever, 
And you weren't talking about a new car, a new house, a new job, or a baby. When you said, you know, I became a Christian. I, I went over to that church on the poly and I heard the gospel and I realized that I was a sinner and I needed Christ. And I know it's not by works that Christ forgave me of all the things I've done wrong. I'm a Christian. Most people begin to look at you as you got some kind of a mental disease, that you're weird or something. And all of a sudden, things start changing in that relationship. And you wonder, why does it have to change just because I became a Christian? Well, it happens. And I want to prepare you for that. Now, for some of you that are outside the faith listening to me, maybe on radio or on the Internet or somewhere, and you're saying, I don't want to be a Christian because I, I, that's a very reason because once I become a Christian, they will think I'm a nutcase. So I'm not really ready yet to, make that, uh, to step over that line. I, I realize that, and that's a tough thing. But let me tell you, if you do not step over that line and trust Christ as Savior, listen to this next phrase. Your friends then will laugh at you for not laughing because you want to become a Christian, all this stuff. They can laugh you into hell. And you're afraid of their laughter if you trust Christ. You don't trust Christ. So they laugh you into hell, but they can never laugh you out of hell. And so I urge you that whatever you think might happen when you trust Christ as Savior... I want you to know, when you trust Him as Savior, whatever persecution that you have, Scripture says, out of them all, the Lord will deliver you. doesn't mean you won't have persecution. It just means that there will be such an experience of the intimacy with the Lord. You'll identify so much with Him. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. <laughs> 